We're gonna talk about comics from Devil's Due. It's something you wondered if Talking Joe would ever do. Our guests will explain it all to you. Gonna take some time to read the books we've never read. Oh, Hey, 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 I have just met you. This is crazy, but here's my number, so call me, maybe. It's me, Mark, and welcome to Talking Joe, the best and longest-running dedicated G.I. Joe comics podcast. If you are new to the show, you can find out all of the details over at the website, which is talkingjoe.co.uk. Now, this week, we are continuing our detailed look at the disavowed era of G.I. Joe from Devil's Due. It's issue 29 and 30, which is Players and Pawns, part two and three of the five-parter. And this came out from Devil's Due in May 2004. Now, discussing this with me uh, will be, and I apologise, sir, for, for, for some imminent prawn-based puns. But here we go, going into this with my eyes open. It's my co-host. First up, it's a real American shrimp. It's Tim Finn. Hello, Mark, and hello, listeners. And next up, it is Prawn Star. It's G.I.J. J. Cornetray. <laughs> Howdy, Joe fans. Sorry. Good to have you guys back again to talk more Devil's Jew. This time we're talking issue 29 and 30, parts two and three of the five-parter. It's Brandon Jawa. Brandon. Brandon Jawa. On story, again, pencils, Tim Seeley, inks, Corey Hampshire, colours, Brett R. Smith, letters, Dreamer Designs, graphic design, Mike Norton, production assistants, Sean Dove, and military consultation, Andrew Swenson. Let's have a look at the covers in the gallery. So we've got uh, 29, which features Destro uh, with Handshake and Issue 30, Duke pointing a gun at us or above our left shoulder and uh, some some bullets of uh, Cobra characters. Over you to you, Tim. What do you think of these two? Uh, so 29 is a, a, a handsome and solid drawing from Tim Seeley. And there's, there's a lot of story in this cover without being an action drawing and also without being just a pinup which don't mm-hmm. have any story and this cover asks a question and uh i guess i guess technically it was the previous issue that answered it but you know the the interiors of this issue very much follows through on the puzzle or like promise of this cover i like that both uh the younger destro and also remind me what's her name destro's uh, lillian lillian uh that they're also there and 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 this is as i said a handsome drawing of destro um the one thing that and doesn't it, hmm. i was gonna say and and this drawing is kind of replicated as the very last panel of the book which is uh interesting i always quite uh it tickles me when i see the um the kind of the cover being captured as a single panel in the in the book and and um yeah as a cover it's not just a replication of that panel it is it is working it up into a cover quality image 
Uh, yeah, sorry. Did I did I did I state a factual error there? Did I get twenty eight and twenty nine mixed up? It's I guess uh, it's... you may have done. Yeah. Okay. So it's, <laughs> all right. So the cover is not referred to in the previous issue. The cover is referred to in this issue. Excuse me. So um, uh, so there's a a briefcase of money that's open on the bottom and left. There's a cigar in a a lit cigar, a lit smoking cigar in a uh, uh, ashtray. Uh, a, a bit of a wood table that these two things are sitting on with some kind of contract or paperwork. Destro has signed it. Um, the one thing that I think could be much more effective with this cover is that, hmm, well, maybe maybe I changed my mind. So I was sort of thrown off because when I saw the cover, I thought, oh, Destro's making a deal with a juggler or someone in Washington, D.C., like one of our uh, political people. Uh, in reading the story, Destro's making a deal with the president of Sierra Gordo. And so I had thought, wait, is that is that a banner? Is that flag that's cropped to the right top right under the G.I. Joe logo? It's like, well, shouldn't that be an American flag? But now I realize that must be either a the Sierra Gordo uh, standard or something related to its uh, military. Um, but I do wonder if, you know, if you pull, if you pull the quote camera back, then your characters are smaller and it's less dramatic. But I wondered if if you could pull the camera back and somehow include a little bit more of that arm uh, to sort of hint or tease at who who it is that's making this deal. Because this cover is only interesting if this is an exciting or dangerous deal, if Destro is doing something bad. If it's like, let's say that that arm was Cobra Commander, right? I, I don't mean Cobra Commander in the last two issues, Destro has like betrayed Cobra Commander. I mean, in a very general sense, it's like Cobra. It's like, well, I know Destro makes deals with Cobra. Um, so in order for this to be sort of more of a tease or more shocking, I think we need a little more information that it's like, oh, no, Destro shouldn't be making this deal. Uh, and I think it's most of the way there. Yeah, I mean, I, all the things that Tim said. It's just colored a little dark for me, but that's, you know, what we're going to have with these. Lillian's pose is kind of weird. Her face is kind of weird, but, uh, you know, overall it works. I don't know. I was thinking when Tim was talking, how could we better get the idea across that this is not, uh, you know, in the Ameri- you know, in, in Washington, D.C. or something like that? Um, maybe if uh, there was a window or something behind Destro and, and you could see like, I don't mm. know cabanas like or something you know like another smoke country from a battle, yeah perhaps. war-torn battlefield or something mm. just we don't we don't get a lot of uh, hint of the, the environment here i wish that they would do something with uh alexander as far as you know giving him a unique outfit i uh, feel like all of the iron grenadiers and are all just kind of have the same generic look and, yeah and, you know, they've just kind of put him in that same outfit he and Lillian should definitely have some kind of variation yeah. uh, on, on the Iron Grenadier outfit so that we like them more, so that they're more toyetic, so that they stick out more when they're when they're in a scene. And Tim Seeley's missing one one important Destro element here on the on number twenty nine. Pull that zipper down, he's gotta give a little more chest. We gotta get that <laughs> that con oh. thing from Rathacon. Let's see the big Destro Pecs. Zip it down to the navel. Yeah, yeah. 
I thought you were going to say something different. I have a, I have a, I have a comment on this cover that I'm saving for the end of the show. Okay. Um, my, uh, my comment on issue 30 cover is that it's, it's fine. Uh, it's not, (laughs) it's not a boring pinup. I do like the general sense of drama that these three vignetted, uh, I guess they're not technically vignetted, but these three, uh, encapsulated Cobras, they're each doing something different. We're looking a little bit up at Cobra Commander and he's looking over his shoulder. Baroness says, you know, he's, he's distrusting, right? Baroness is calm or sad. Destro is, uh, inscrutable because we can't see his face. And he's also looking at a window, which is symbolic for like leaving. So, um, and each has a different color treatment. And then there's this smashed Cobra element, the the logo uh, behind them. And then uh, Duke in that costume from the action figures that I don't, that, that I think is okay, but a little boring. Uh, there he is. Duke looks a little short. Um, yeah. I feel like if you put your hand over Duke's uh, bottom half, like from his waist down, and you like imagine with your eyes how far his legs should go, and then you pull your hand out and you look at the drawing again. His his legs look uh, look stubby. This cover reminds me of the Rob Liefeld cover to New Mutants eighty seven, where you have a character with a gun and then three or four character headshots in circles to the right. And that Rob Liefeld New Mutants eighty seven cover is sort of famously a cover swipe from the Gil Kane cover to Avengers 145, except that Liefeld sort of left out an element, which is that in the original Avengers cover, the villain um, is tossing photographs of the Avengers, which is why his hand is doing what it's doing. And you look at the New Mutants cover and Cable isn't like tossing these like pogs (laughs) <laughs> of, like the new mutants they're like little crosshairs and so it, it 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 has a different context but it's also like why is his hand there i don't know like it's still interesting but it, his hand isn't doing the thing that it might be doing and so I, huh. I actually don't think that this is a cover swipe and i don't even think that this is a subconscious cover swipe i think sooner you know if you put a hundred monkeys in a room with typewriters <laughs> and they're drawing gi joe covers like Sooner or later, like 12 of them on the same day are going to draw a G.I. Joe character with a firearm and something about crosshairs or like vignetted or like, you know, circular, like overlay uh, uh, panels of insert panels of uh, of headshots. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's not like an egregious swipe or anything like like that. But I think uh, that New Mutants 87 cover is, is so iconic and so well known that there there must have been a little bit of self-consciousness about it to, to some degree. Um, it's, it's possible that it wasn't, but I suspect that I suspect that there probably was. Yeah, I think it's it's it's, you know, pretty, pretty obviously something along those lines. Uh, oh, I just don't think it's very, very good. <laughs> and and the 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 biggest failure i think is um having Destro's back to the audience it's just mm. and, and i know they've done that like with the spider-man walking away cover and, and and it can be done effectively but i don't feel like in this instance with those three uh characters it, it you know in the the way they are uh i just don't think that that, that works it doesn't you know, it's not obviously yelling at you like this is Destro, you know, even though to a Joe fan, you know who it is. But um, yeah, I don't think it works. 
I noticed that as as well, and sort of just as well because it, it's a bit of seems to be a bit of a tick of um, Tim Seeley's art style that that he or or art layout that that he will kind of use um, a character with their back to us maybe more frequently than than another artist would because there was in the previous issue that we had issue twenty eight there was about five ish panels of of Destro with his back to us to the audience. Um, there was two panels in one page of people walking away from the audience. Two yeah. panels on the same page because we pointed it out. And just to call out uh, that the Duke on the cover was uh, a new figure. So that's Duke version 17, according to Yojo, uh, out in t- 2004, carded as part of the Valor versus Venom line. Is that the two pack with Duke and Cobra Commander? It it probably came out in a couple different versions because oh, yeah, yeah. like my son, we actually have this Duke figure and it came with a um, a DVD, I think. And it okay. was like they called it a mission disc. And it was this one. And, and he had a, a thing. And then uh, and there was Dusty. Oh, the mission discs had. Yeah, had the DVDs that only play on PC computers. And it had <laughs> like slightly, <laughs> slightly edited episodes of G.I. Joe. They were like yeah. 30 seconds short. Those ones. Um, uh, okay. So I, um, my, my, my final thought on 30 is, uh, in 2004, it is not the style of the day to put text bursts on the cover, but since there isn't actual story happening on this cover, there's an arrangement of dramatic elements that don't really connect to that don't connect to each other inherently with this cover, right? It's not like, it's not like they're crosshairs, and so we sort of think that Duke is going to shoot each of these three people. It's not that, like, uh, anyway. So if there was, like, a, a couple text bursts, you know, like, Duke's newest mission, find the commander, uncover Baroness's secret, and what is the mystery of Destro's uh, secret deal, right? It's like, is that holding the, the audience's hand too much? Uh, no, I think it's fun and, and adds add something a little necessary to this cover because like i like this drawing on this arrangement fine enough but it, it does just kind of sit there um going back to 29 speaking of kind of just sitting there um pound for pound i do i do like this cover and i know i'm i'm hard on tim seeley's uh, art what's not working fully for me is uh there isn't enough tension in the poses so alexander has his arms crossed which is universal body language for like I am closed off or I disagree with what is happening in front of me. Right. That's why like photographers tell you like, don't fold your arms. Um, and that's fine. And he's got a very small scowl in his face and that's fine. Cause that does set up some opposition to what Destro is doing. And then I guess Lillian is okay with it because she's got bright eyes and her eyebrows are up a tiny bit and she's smirking, which looks sort of supportive of this deal um, but also she has her dagger, which indicates uh, danger or threat or maybe distrust. Um, but her standing pose uh, alludes to the prior, the former, that she's relaxed, right? That she's okay with this. But I don't know, like, I keep, I keep thinking of Mike Zek as a big contrast to Tim Seeley, where, you know, Mike Zek's covered a, is it issue seven of Devil's Do, where... Um, Beachhead is um, grilling the the four or five green shirts, you know, like 
there is such tension in how Beachhead is leaning forward and I think he's pointing and he's scowling and, you know, the, the green shirts are all reacting and the one who's closest to us, I think, is, you know, like a little bit back up on his heels. We can't see his heels. And um, and there is a there's a little lack of snap to Seely's uh, poses and acting. Yep, sounds uh, sounds fair. Um, I was uh, I was just looking at the this the, the this Duke toy again, and um, there there's a <laughs> there was a few versions of the the same figure sort of that were, were, was reused and, and recolored, um, and one of them was the was it was interesting. It's a, li- a little um, three and three quarter inch or four inch um, Duke um, that was released as a Vellum versus Valor line um, alongside um, a 12 inch uh, voice voice fx duke and it's sort of packaged uh with a big button with the sort of the cutout in the in the middle where you can press your finger in and it's uh, got a try me um it looks hilarious <laughs> <laughs> if only that duke was drawn on the cover at a 30 what okay i know Oh, oh, here we go. Here we go. Perfect. Devil's Do wants to do some tie-ins with the Hasbro toy line, even if Hasbro doesn't care or isn't paying attention. <laughs> this Duke on the cover to 30 should be saying, try me. <laughs> yes. Excellent. Okay. Uh, Jay, have you prepared a plot breakdown for us? New York City, Hawk and Lady J are discovered alive in the remains of the WNN Studios building they were in when it was blown up by Cobra Saboteur. Hawk tells 20 Questions host Hector Ramirez that Cobra Commander is after attention and has Lady J create a cover story to prevent the nation from knowing that Cobra blew up the building. In Transcarpathia, Destro tells his son Alexander and his girlfriend the Mistress Armada to prepare for the next phase of his plan. In Sierra Gordo, President Jesus de la Cruz receives a call from the leader of an invading force that has brought death and destruction to his country, a man named Guillermo Gomez of Sierra Morte. When Dela Cruz asks if Gomez has any requests, Gomez tells him he only wants the president to remain there and wait for his end to come. Elsewhere in Sierra Gordo, Ricondo, Ripcord, Tunnel Rut, Low Light, and Dart are observing the invading army. On Cobra Island, Barrel Roll, who infiltrated the island last issue disguised as a raptor viper, plants a virus in Cobra's central core moments before being discovered by a random televiper. Barrel Roll manages to escape and makes his way to the beach to recover a hidden jet ski. However, just as he is about to head for open ocean, a gun is placed to his head. Meanwhile, back in Sierra Gordo, to stop the further encroachment of Gomez's forces, President Dela Cruz makes a deal with the devil, Destro. In exchange for using his iron grenadiers to repel Gomez's forces, Dela Cruz will allow Destro to build weapons factories in Sierra Gordo. On Cobra Island, Tomax and Zaymont are forced to tell Cobra Commander about Barrel Roll infiltrating and escaping from Cobra HQ. Commander tells them to bring him alive and give him to the interrogator. On the beach, Barrel Roll turns to find the owner of the gun is none other than Dr. Mindbender, who's also trying to escape from Cobra Island. Barrel Roll tells Mindbender to hold on tight, but then drops him in the ocean as the jet ski takes off, leaving the demented dentist in the hands of some Cobra Vipers. Mindbender shoots one of the Vipers and runs away. Out to sea, Barrel Roll is being pursued by Copperhead and the Water Moccasin, two Hydrofoils, and a pair of Cobra Wave Crushers. Barrel Roll is airlifted to safety before the Cobras can reach him, and Hacker reveals that the virus he planted was just a way into Cobra's system. Hacker 
says the Cobras will find it eventually, but not the back door the virus created in their network. Cobra Commander tells the Baroness Destro is planning something. He needs to find out what it is. In Sierra Gordo, Destro signs a deal with President Del Cruz that will allow him to build weapons factories in Sierra Gordo for exchange to defending his country. During the negotiations, one of Destro's men stops to investigate a noise he heard and is knocked out by a hard left to the metal faceplate. When Destro and his men leave Dela Cruz's office, Dela Cruz tells his assistant to get Gomez on the phone. Dela Cruz tells Gomez about his deal with Destro and says he's sure Destro is on his way there at the very moment. The Joes discover it is Destro's Iron Grenadiers in disguise who are attacking Sierra Gordo. Destro returns to Sierra Morte and is alerted that his standby forces have been captured by a team of SEALs. Just then, one of Destro's Iron Grenadiers points a gun at him and removes his helmet, revealing G.I. Joe's first sergeant, Duke, underneath. Gomez tells Destro that Sierra Gordo and Sierra Morte had a peace agreement before the attacks in Sierra Gordo began, and they alerted the Joes as soon as Destro showed up. Destro is arrested, his Iron Grenadiers are rounded up, and the Joes tend to their wounded. Later on Cobra Island, Cobra Commander asked the Baroness if she heard of Destro's arrest and asked if she would like to stage a rescue mission. The Baroness says, Destro made his choice, and he can rot for it. Dun, dun, dun. Rot away, Destro. So let's hone in. Yeah, a lot there. Yeah, a lot to chew on. You know what I'm struck by uh, first when I I open these two comics? It might be the same as my headline, Tim. Can I take a guess? Yeah. Um, is it the paper stock? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's very kind of you. Because it's... it's it's quite it's quite a nice <laughs> stock on this on these issues. It's um, I sort of noticed it flicking from uh, from twenty nine to uh, sorry to twenty eight to, to twenty nine. It's uh, kind of a a bit um, a bit more of a matte quality to it, less gloss. It's quite it's quite a quite an appealing paper stock. Huh, I, you know what? My The door is closed and my copy of 28 is out of reach, but uh, maybe I did like it more without realizing it. Um, what, I'm for, what I'm most struck by is uh, advertisements. Uh-huh. So uh, the, the inside front cover to 29 is an advertisement and for a, a, home, a home video game. And then uh, there are several pages of ads in this issue i mean throughout the issue i don't mean like four pages of ads for other devils do comics Mm -hmm. at the end i mean three they're within the comic four yeah uh they're within the comic and then the back cover is an ad for a Mm -hmm. playstation game a, a transformers playstation game and I don't think there have been ads like this in previous issues of Devil's Do G.I. Joe. And so what this means to me is uh, if you're thinking like, I don't like this, this is interrupting my reading flow. It's the opposite for me. It makes it feel more like I'm reading uh, a comic from the 80s or 90s where you get ad breaks. And also it shows me that someone, someone at Devil's Do is trying to make some money in a mm, different yeah. way. And I think is being successful and anything that can bring more money to devils do while it's doing its GI Joe comics. Uh, so they can, you know, like hire more expensive talent or I don't know, go to more conventions and like spread the word. Like that's a good thing. And what this also shows me because uh, what's this ad for Kryptonics, a chopper in a box. Uh, the all-new <laughs> chopper in a box skateboard board bag and helmet all in one okay available at dick's sporting goods all right so 
most of the ads are for video game home video game stuff and then there's this ad for like a helmet or something this shows me that devil's do is advertising at a particular demographic or a or particular demographics right like yeah. when i pick up a new marvel comic this happened last year and the inside front cover is a photo of a four-year-old boy with like a dumb looking spider-man bicycle helmet and he's got like some like Spider-Man decoration on his bicycle handlebars. And then the very poorly designed copy and type covers up the kid's hands and the handlebars. And it's like Spider-Man products. It's like, like, okay, first of all, it's a terrible ad. But second of all, like, oh, I, I guess that's for like little kids or their parents, right? Um, anyway, but it's, in 2004, who's buying video games? You know, like 20-year-olds and 25-year-olds and 30-year-olds. Um, and then for issue 30... You open it up and the inside front cover and page one are a two-page ad for oh, that wow. same Transformers Hasbro licensed PlayStation, PlayStation 2 game, excuse me. Uh, and so when I'm counting pages in the second issue for today, I'm, I'm, I'm starting at what I would consider page one, story page one, art page one. It's, it's a small thing, but it's, it's sort of delightful. That's my first impression. There we go. Um, we'll get worried when they start including ads for like AARP and you know Gold Line and stuff like that. I didn't. I didn't get the references. That's that's an old demographic. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> the AA. A- sorry to our non-American fans. The AARP is the uh, American Association of Retired Persons. It's uh-huh. a thing you join when you're 65 if you want. <laughs> you see those oh, commercials yeah. late at night with all yeah. the all the lawyer commercials and stuff. Yeah, so that would be that would be the GI Joe 60th anniversary comic. <laughs> what are your what are your first impressions? Chunking chunking this up, I guess there's there's what what three main kind of subplots happening. We've got the the bomb arth uh, initially. We've got uh, shenanigans on Cobra Island, the uh, the barrel roll mission, and then and then the subsequent kind of political shenanigans with with the Cobra hierarchy, and then we've got this mission in. Uh, Sierra Gordo, so uh, juggling these different kind of threads n- nicely going on. We've got a lot of characters, a lot of different things happening, and also sort of uh, a little bit of sort of leaning into the nostalgia as, as well. So we've got the likes of Ricondo and Ripcord back in Sierra Gordo after probably not seeing them uh, in that locale or together since uh, a walk through the jungle in issue 39, one of the... Uh, uh, real classics of uh, of the line, so that was a kind of a a nice little nod for me. But yeah, the thing there's there's still sort of you know uh, sort of enjoying it, enjoying whether it's going. But I think there's still some sort of stumbling in in some of the execution and and some of the just things getting a little bit confused, perhaps in in terms of how it's conveyed on on the page. We can dig into that a little bit as we go. For for me, the the confusion almost started straight away though at the beginning of. Uh, 29 and maybe you guys can help me with with this that we we have a a starter which opens up with was it clutch and and, and zap sort of and then the explosion uh that was 12 minutes ago and then we flick forward to now where where they're now sort of you know scrambling through the wreckage to try and, try and find survivors We've got Lightfoot and Barbecue in in their full gear, and I thought, oh, that's a good response time. Twelve minutes. Imagine, 
give them 12 minutes and they'll barely even be halfway through dressing in into those somewhat elaborate costumes, <laughs> let alone making it uh, halfway across New York, uh, Russia. But anyway. Um, the best. Yeah. Uh, so a so, little, little bit little bit convenient. But And then the, the next page on, there's two characters, of a female and a male, in uh, who are in red blankets, and one of them has got a head bandage and i was a little bit thrown as to who that was because i think we've got hawk and lady J stood in front of the ambulance or fire engine and we've got hector ramirez there on in the middle of them so i'm not entirely sure who those people are actually meant to be i have a note and i wrote down who's the bald guy on page three uh, so the the person on the right of these two people wearing red blankets that you're referring to, Mark, who has a head bandage, doesn't have any sideburns. So I think that means he's bald. Yeah, in the back of the head shot at the bottom left. Uh, right. Um, so I think so. I don't know who that is. And there are very few white guy bald Joes. I think he has a tiny earring. In both panels, you can see a little hoop under his what is his right earlobe. But what's so what's so uh, what's so stumbly about this is that on page one, these two Joes who are not in identifying costumes identify each other by name for the audience's benefit. Zap! What can I say? Clutch! And then two pages later, there's another person or two who no one calls by name. Uh, so I don't actually know who this is. Is it Salvo or? Uh, Who's the who's the slaughter's marauder? Who's the middle guy? No, he's got he's got crazy red facial hair. Um, Jay, who is this? I don't have any idea. Uh, I, uh, I I think I think the idea is that in that building when Lady J and Hawk were on whatever floor doing the TV interview, I guess there were other Joes like down the hall or like doing security in the lobby or something. I, I what, that's that's yeah. my guess. What what my guess was was that it was possibly like a tv producer or something because they're huddled next to hector ramirez like as if they're maybe part of the same same group and from right. the dialogue uh he's saying obviously this was an attack by cobra but can we publicize that is that just giving what they want so so maybe he's coming from the point of i'm you know i'm the head honcho behind the news program i right. don't want to you know, publicize. I don't want to. You know, I have to be careful about that how makes I sense. how I make this. But it's yeah, I. I have was, another. Was a bit confused. I have another problem with this scene. So pages two and three, sort of the now the like wreckage of the building and digging out survivors and standing by the emergency vehicles. There's a plane. There's a ground plane of rubble that the Joes are standing on or digging through. There is nothing behind them except yeah. for a like smoky haze and wasn't this downtown manhattan mm -hmm. actually i don't even downtown manhattan is redundant wasn't this manhattan <laughs> um yeah. like where are the buildings or the like bus shelters traffic across the street this looks like like the and pit this looks like the pit got hit by a bomb and the joes are digging through like three quonset huts worth of debris yeah. on the ground but there's like nothing around except for desert the rubble that they're going through looks like, you know, like the aftermath of 9-11. But in the first page, you can see the explosion really just takes the top off the, the building. 
you know, it probably doesn't level the whole building. Mm. But I think being being when this was made, I'm sure that Seeley probably used some footage for reference of what. So I'm not going to fault him for that. But yeah, we need some background. Sorry, they dig Lady J out from under rubble, which implies that some of the building collapsed. Yeah. Yeah. It does It does seem to suggest that it, the building has been literally leveled to ground level but yeah there yeah it does look uh, like zap that. and zap and clutch are right in front of it as the bomb goes off which if it if it is that big an explosion it literally reduces the entire building to to rubble um yeah i think um clutch and zap might have other things that to, to be worrying about i'm being hard on this scene i i do like lady j's dialogue at the end of it where she has a plan for how to how to massage the message of this um, bomb attack the other thing that strikes me about this opening scene and then the next scene at Destro's castle with Destro and um, Alexander and Lillian is Seely's continued use of the straight on shot where he puts the camera, finger quotes camera, at like, you know, like as if a camera operator, if this is a movie, it just like has the camera on their shoulder or like on a tripod at, you know, four and a half feet, five feet. And Seely doesn't often put the camera up at 10 feet, 15 feet, 20 feet, and angle it down. He does on the top of page three, uh, yeah, where Destro uh, is walking and there are two Iron Grenadiers behind him and he's being greeted by someone. He does do that there. But recently on one of his two Facebook pages, Larry Hama posted a very simple pencil sketch that he did of small stick figures that look a certain way. And he said, sometimes in my scripts, I call for a Joe Kubert clothespin shot. And he's referring to how you might draw like a clothespin, right? Like those wooden things that you use to stick clothes to like clothesline so they dry. And what Hama is saying is, sometimes I want my artist to draw the scene from like 15 or 300 feet back And like up in the air, like 20 feet or 40 feet and looking down at an angle and not straight down and not straight on. And this is not Hama saying this anymore. This is what I get out of all of this kind of shot, which is you are far enough away to know where everyone is and where everyone is in relationship to in relation to everyone else. And you get to see a bunch of the ground and you get to see a bunch of the depending on the angle, like some of the say buildings sort of around um, them and uh, the but the first panel of the digging out the survivors scene is straight on and if Seely doesn't want to draw all these buildings around them then he should put the camera high up and aim it down mm. so that we don't see any buildings around them and then when Destro when James and Lillian are having this um, fencing match um, that first panel of them like, yes, it is very dramatic to have a profile shot of fencers fencing because you get the full effect of their poses, right? But the the background perspective here is pretty boring. And then the next, you know, one, two, three, next turn the page, four, five, six, seven uh, panels, even, even when Destra enters the scene, are these straight-on shots, which are not very exciting. And in the final panel of this scene where... Destro is talking to Alexander Lillian, uh, and they're they're now like sitting or kneeling on the ground. He does pull the camera up in exactly the way that I'm describing, um, but 
to be a full-on like Joe Kubert clothespin shot, he's he's too close. Um, but uh, I think I've referred to this my own name for this kind of shot as a quarter quarter angle, right? So if you think of an animation model sheet, you have like straight on profile, like rear. If you're rotating the camera around someone, if you go to a quarter angle, you're halfway between straight on and profile. And if you go to a rear uh, three quarter angle, you're halfway between a profile and a like straight on rear shot. But if you are, if you now like lift your camera up 10 feet and you angle it down, that's why I call that a quarter quarter angle. Um, anyway, um, I think a lot of Seeley's storytelling uh, weak spots would be clarified with moving the camera back, often high up, and fewer straight shots. Also, more drama, not just more clarity. Um, and I, I feel that way throughout throughout these two issues. Uh, a lot, a lot of, a lot of straight shots. My observation on on this one is that uh, Destro is told that they're in the great room fencing and i looked at that scene and i thought to myself or that panel and i thought says well i'll be the judge of that <laughs> it doesn't doesn't look especially like a great room unless uh unless it was named so ironically yeah unless we're just seeing a little portion of it maybe perhaps it's not that big it's not that great it's not that fancy yeah shall we change scene to cobra islands um, a great little intro, actually, to when we, we when we do change scenes to Cobra Island in the Gulf of Mexico, we we initially see Cobra Commander giving a, a rallying speech to his troops, uh, standing from a hiss four with the kind of the the heads slash I guess cockpit sort of raised. So it's sort of like using that that kind of toyetic feature play feature of where the where the hiss tanks kind of head could you know be raised up and uh sort of presenting it in quite a an interesting and dramatic way you know actually on on the panel so yeah i did quite like that is cobra commander's outfit now supposed to be black yeah it was it, it's described as black in the in the letters page at some points okay but, um uh, it was a, a i think a preference of tim seeley that he likes the the black um so yeah quite a cool little sequence of uh a barrel roll, sort of making his way into uh, into Cobra Island, and uh, I was kind of surprised that that they wrap up the barrel roll part in the story right right here. I mean, it, it's good; it all plays out really well. But I I thought, oh, he infiltrated, and I I assumed that he would be on the island for several issues. Me too. Just the two. Uh, yeah, I, it's not it's not a bad thing. I yeah, it worked. It was it was still good, but I see Jurawa keeping it peppy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But since since Destro leaves abruptly without consulting Baroness, since Cobra Commander is only gone for three issues and the rest of and not communicating with Cobra, and since Barrel Roll only infiltrates Cobra for like eleven hours, I do wonder if Jurwa is going to uh, have a lot of things happen really fast in the comic, and if some of it may be to the detriment of story and drama like no 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 let that let that sit for longer yeah did you did you generally like the the barrel sequence though what uh, yeah i did what you had of it there's a there's a fun panel of um of him shooting behind after he's been escaped and shooting over his shoulder and it's the kind of the almost the broke back position that you get in a lot of cheesecake uh, <laughs> so that you can see both the both the, the chest and the butt. But, I noticed uh, that. <laughs> I what's uh what was the reaction called? Was it the Hawkeye initiative? 
That's was, right, wasn't it? Yeah. There was there was an internet. The internet noticed uh, ten years ago that you know, like comic book artists would often draw female characters in poses, like action poses on covers or interiors that uh, a they would not put male characters in, and also b where as Mark just described. Their, their spine is twisting so much you can see like both their butts and also their breasts. Um, and so someone on the internet started, or several people started drawing male characters like Hawkeye sort of tracing on top of these like female characters drawn into uh, comics to perhaps show how silly it all was. And it's like when you see a male character in that pose, you think, oh yeah, no, I, I, that's awkward. And like, that's not exciting or sexy you know, we should all knock this off. Uh, and I, I did notice this in, in issue 30. I like the scene with Barrel Roll. Um, uh, in issue 29, there is a wordless page. There's a six panel wordless page where after he's heard Cover Commander's speech, he's sneaking out a hallway. Coils doesn't mm-hmm. notice him. He's looking up. He's in an air duct uh, doing something and he's got a flashlight in his mouth. Uh, he's... Uh, coming down from the air duct in a room and we can see his silhouette um, past a viper who doesn't see it happening. And then he's on the ground, uh, something, 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 I think putting his costume back on or putting something into his uh, vest. Probably getting his tools out. Um, And uh, except for the boring straight on shot of the first panel, I still like the idea of the first panel, even if the the quote camera angle of it um, isn't fun. I read this in any comic book and I don't immediately think, hey, silent interlude. I just think, <laughs> I just think, no, there's like sort of no quote noise in the scene. Like you wouldn't draw attention to how loud um, it is to open up the air duct and crawl in unless you're trying to be really quiet and like people are nearby and, you know, you draw the character like wincing because they're being too loud. It's like, no, no one can hear him because this part of the base isn't being patrolled at the moment. Um, or he's just that quiet. So uh, separate from silent interlude, I like this kind of scene because it's all told visually. Also, anytime G.I. Joe comic does a wordless scene or issue, we all think, hey, silent interlude. So that's fun. I thought the whole sequence of him escaping uh, was really good. You know, it, it just worked really well. Jerwa a, a has a good, a good use of... Um, plotting that kind of thing you know not just coming up with it but 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 using pages just like tim said putting all of that action on one page and using that to be a a six six panel page just quiet and and gets all that stuff done it's good it's good plotting i feel like and and the the whole sequence just worked really well there's another moment of, of really nice writing and visual storytelling where barrel roll has jumped off the cliff and taken out some cobras and parachuted down to the beach. And uh, he says, here's hoping depth charge managed to hide his jet ski down here on the beach. And the next panel stop of the page. He, the camera's low, the camera's like two inches cameras just sitting on the ground. And in the foreground, there's a, a starfish, which is actually called a sea star. Cause they're not fish stuck in the sand. Uh, and then, in the middle distance, barrel rolls looking sort of at us, but at the sea star. And he says, perfect. And 
Uh, and then the next panel, he is uncovering a jet ski without any dialogue, thought balloons, or captions. And so there's this little bit of visual storytelling where he sets us up that the jet ski is going to be hidden in a particular place. And then he sees an object out of place, which is where Death Charge must have visually signaled to Barrel Roll that he had hidden this jet ski. And it's it's just one panel in the middle of a three-panel sequence. And it's pretty simple, but it's great. Yeah. Like, it's, it's a great bit of writing and it's a great bit of uh, drawing, storytelling. But then, on the rest of the page, I get sort of thrown off and confused because Barrel, uh, barrel Roll in the... He's in the background now, sort of pulling his jet ski out, and he's in silhouette. And in the foreground, there's a Viper who's saying, Control, this is Viper 987. No sign of him. And uh, there's, I can't, there's some like lumpy thing in front of the Viper, and I can't tell if the Viper is like holding up his own wrist, like a, like a Star Trek, you know, like calm on a, on a, like a talking watch, or if that's like a second Viper's shoulder in front of him. But anyway. Uh, so then in the next panel, Barrel Roll's like continuing to uh, push the jet ski on the beach toward the water and he's talking to himself. And in the foreground, there's this black glove coming out from uh, a shadow. And then in the final panel, the black glove is holding uh, a pistol and points it at his head and says, this mystery person, the black glove, says, do exactly as I say and you might just survive this. I need you to do me a favor. Uh, and he says, oh yeah, what's that? And, he, and again, this mystery person still, we don't know who it is, says, you're going to get me the hell off this island. And I thought, A, oh, that's a viper because there are vipers patrolling the island. B, well, if that's a viper, they have red gloves that's miscolored. And C, oh, it's Mercer. This is where Devil's Do is going to introduce Mercer. So I'm going to turn the page and there's going to be a full <laughs> page, like a full like Mark Miller Ultimates 2002 splash final page of a comic where it's just a big drawing of one character and they're saying like one thing, you know, like Captain America pointing at his head and saying, do you think this A stands for France? (laughs) Oh, Mark Miller. So much attitude. Uh, And I turn the page and and I expect it to be like a full drawing of a Viper saying I'm defecting or a Viper who's taken his helmet off and it's like a guy with short brown hair and it's like Mercer finally in the comics. I turn the page and it's some other scene. So do I just have Mercer on the brain? And <laughs> yeah. it's it's like I was wrong in how I was reading this. Or did you guys find like I, I feel like the sort of and you don't have to follow this, Brandon Jerwa, but I feel like sort of the momentum of this comic is that you turn the page and you're gonna get one more thing about this scene, even if it's like a floating caption over the next scene that is a scene change, which is one last bit of dialogue, or like the reveal of who it is, even if it's not uh, Mercer. But I feel like in trying to, because now I know who it is, because I did read the next issue, in trying to hold back who it is, it made the scene more confusing for me because I don't know who it is, but not in a like fun, tantalizing way. And also the like momentum of this scene is cut off because mm. we cut to some other scene. So you guys have a thoughts on this? Yeah, So, so I think probably... Probably it was the intentional sort of slightly misdirectional with the the viper that it's meant to give you a bit of leeway to think, huh? Is that is that a viper that's holding it to to his the gun to to barrel rolls forehead? 
yeah, and probably, um, but I, I get the sort of the sense of the momentum and building up to to kind of a, a grand finale to sort of the, perhaps that that could have worked as well. That almost on the next page, instead of the next issue, that you have that you have maybe a full page splash of panel what two from page two of the next issue of of Doctor Mindbender being revealed with the with the gun, and then possibly you know continue on into the to the next issue where where he gets. Uh, gets the better of him but um, yeah i mean it, it uh, no no real quick quibbles though it, it i wasn't i wasn't confused and uh, wasn't left disappointed by the change of scene to be honest reading it well i didn't think that it was mercer because he came back during the battle of cobra island yes and got that, killed. of course <laughs> oh, right we've already right. seen mercer yeah uh <clears throat> You know, I, th- I think I, I think I have, uh, I think I have um, stuck my foot in my mouth now, oh, okay. eight, eight times in the entire disavowed <laughs> uh, podcast history of this show, where something, something did happen in an earlier Devil's Due issue, and I just hadn't remembered it. So, to our listeners who know this comic series better than me, who are like. Tim, you lose all credibility in your critique when you can't remember a simple thing like Mercer's already shown up. I apologize. Another thing threw me off with uh, Barrel Roll's escape, which is um, when he, uh, two pages earlier, there's a shootout in a hallway with some Crimson Guardsmen. And Barrel Roll is, he's like action pose firing and standing in front of uh, a recessed like glass case in the wall, which has what looks like uh, an oxygen tank. Uh, Because it's like a, a, a tank that looks like a fire extinguisher yep. or an oxygen tank, and then a, a little like face mask with a tube. Um, he gets shot with his elbow. He crashes the, the glass uh, and he keeps shooting. And then um, Tomax and Zaymot say, the extinguisher. And the other one says, and the alarms. And then uh, in a nice high looking down shot past a, an element in the ceiling that feels like a Shannon Gallant panel from uh, Real American Hero, uh, we see the two sprinklers uh, and a fun sound effect. And, Barrel's <laughs> holding this like sort of red, like fire extinguisher or oxygen tank. He runs through a ladder. He's on the roof. Uh, Crimson Guardsman says, "Nowhere to go this time, pal." Barrel throws it back at him. He reacts, jumps. Uh, Barrel jumps, um, blink, and the um, the tank gets shot right in front of these two Crimson Guardsmen. You turn the page, and there's a big incendiary explosion, like flame and fire and yellow and red and with a big sound effect kaboom so the the panel where he's throwing it it's hard to read but the actual tank says o2 caution flammable but zaymot uh tomax called it a fire extinguisher and so i thought it was a fire extinguisher and fire extinguishers are decidedly not flammable. <laughs> if you shoot it, I guess like water or like white foam would explode. And so I can't tell if Jerwa is like getting a little confused here, if he's having a character in the scene get confused so that we think it's a fire extinguisher, but then when it actually blows up and like kill takes out these two Crimson Guardsmen, it's like a fun surprise for us. But I, it it just sort of threw me off because I thought, wait, why did this fire extinguisher blow up? It would just like go, Pff, it'd be like like exploding the Stave Puff Marshmallow Man. It wouldn't be like a bomb goes off. So I asked I asked my two co-hosts again regarding a scene at the end of this comic. 
did this work for you? Were you confused? Am I just reading this wrong? I wasn't terribly confused. I think that instead of saying the extinguisher and the alarms, that he should have said, um, like, the sprinklers and the alarm. Because I don't think that he's pointing out to his brother that Barrel Roll took an extinguisher from the wall. I think that he, they're just commenting on uh, the, the sprinklers and the alarms and stuff going off. There's all kinds yeah. of... Again, butter sculpture in the background. I'm not sure if that's coming from the from the sprinklers in the ceiling, and maybe that's kind of an extinguisher system. Yeah, he's oh, he's, that, that he's he, previously he grabs, jumped up and yeah grabbed the uh, the like oh okay that's cables from, that from one. the from yeah, the ceiling okay. and that's sort of releasing something. I'm not entirely sure what the substance so that's is. The gas, white smoky yeah. gas, marshmallow. There. Um, <laughs> it's the marshmallow <laughs> dispenser. Yeah. <laughs> uh, actually <laughs> while, while we're on that panel let, let me sort of just break uh, break our, our flow with an error detected error detected error detected no prize incoming so bottom left panel hey dumber dumb and dumber my eyes my eyes eliminate something because we don't see because that uh, word bubble is lost off the panel have you got the the trade in front? Of you? No prize that one. The uh, well, no. I was gonna say he didn't finish it because the stuff got in his mouth too. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the, um, hold on a second. Let me grab my trade and see if it. I was just wondering if like. they corrected that one for the for the trade. Hopefully, it's not in a different house or anything. No, no, I, <laughs> I got it right here. It's uh, it's fixed in the in the paperback. It says eliminate hit at dash dash ack, uh, and then in the next panel he says uh, ag. Uh, and that's it. <laughs> what we missed yeah, out they, on. What could have been? They fixed that. The the digital copy that I have on the computer is 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 cut like that too. All right, so we've. So we've talked about the barrel. Oh, but 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 Tim, oh, but, oh, but oh. on the on the fixed. So on on the fire extinguisher. In uh, in the gl- behind the glass, it, it makes sense that it's I guess oxygen. You can see the tank, and leading from it is a mask. So you would it's a breather for I guess oxygen. You wouldn't breathe in fire extinguisher. Uh, but I thought I thought you might mention this that when he throws it uh, and it you know shoots at it, blink and uh, it explodes. Uh, that that you have said previously, oxygen tanks do not explode, um, as as has been evidenced at the end of Jaws. That that it was pointed out to to Steven Spielberg that yep, I know I know if you shoot an oxygen tank, it will not explode, but it's cooler if it does. Um. <laughs> hmm. I knew that MythBusters proved that wrong, but um, yeah, I'm with Steven Spielberg. Blow that shark up. It was um, you that told me that, right, Tim? No, uh, I think did did Brandon Jerwa say this? When oh, maybe he was it was a guest? Brandon Jerwa. Okay, yeah, yeah. We definitely uh, we definitely I, said it before on the. Uh, on the I show. I think I talked about how Spielberg changed the sound effect when for when the oxygen oh. tank explodes from the initial release of the film to a later restoration. Oh, I don't remember this. Uh, I I didn't I didn't say it to you. Uh, I learned it from uh, someone who knows a lot about Jaws. Um, so, all right, we talked about uh, the barrel roll stuff. It changed guys... the shot to go, doi, <laughs> just before he exploded. Uh, it's, it's just, this, it's the sound effect that changes, not the, uh, not an image. Um, how do you guys feel about this stuff in Sierra Gordo with these, uh, these 
the Joe team is sort of split in half, and then there are the like robots or mercenaries, and then there's the, the political maneuvering with the uh, rebels. How do you feel I, about that? I got the gist, and I I liked I liked what they were trying to do, but was left a little bit confused in places, and and sort of had to kind of circle back and and read things to kind of figure figure things out that maybe weren't quite as clear as they they could have been like there's a sequence for example where dart and uh ripcord are sort of firing down at a column of vehicles and it's difficult to tell what the vehicles are because they're very diddy and and then there's a shot taken and, and they run up to the vehicle and uh there's one of these you know look what you're calling cyborg baddies in these sort of strange costumes it's great gray armor gray armor yeah and and you know looking at it i figure out that he's been shot and that's why ripcord has run up to him he thinks that he's taken him out but he's still alive and and he tries to shoot him again but it took me a few times to kind of figure out what was actually happening in that in that sequence because the word balloon is taking up half the panel Mm. and blocked the vehicle where you might see a looks like he's dead gray Mm. armored soldier yeah yeah you're right tim I think that in this action sequence is where we really see uh, a lot of Sealy's shortcomings. It's this, the, you know, the, it, it probably reads pretty well, but just the art wasn't up to, you know, what it needed to be. Um, in the bottom left-hand corner on, on that, that page that we're just talking about, you've got a direct sort of a bird's eye view direct down. Um, and it looks, you know, like the original Grand Theft Auto. If you have a, played that or the um driving sequences in in the original um spy, spy uh, hunter police oh, what was it called police quest from we're, we're seeing games. we're seeing the vehicles directly from above yeah 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 which is an unusual shot I, i'd say for Giorgio, you wouldn't normally see a, a direct down i also had a little bit of a hard time telling who was who and where in all of the sierra gordo stuff yeah i should we talk about Dart? Because he's a he's a new toy, right? For roughly this year. Yep, he is two thousand and two. He's Jimmy Tall Elk, and uh, his primary military specialty is recon. Yeah. So here's a character who he he might remind he reminds me of three other characters. He reminds me of Spirit Iron Knife because he's a Native American. Uh, he reminds me of Gung Ho because he has a vest. We see some chest and there's a tattoo on the chest. And then he reminds me of any Joe that has been recon because anytime a new Joe comes out who has a specialty that's redundant to a previous Joe, I think, cool, like they could go on a mission together. Or I think, oh, use that old guy more. Don't make a new guy. And uh, he also kind of reminds me of uh, Sigma Six Spirit. Mm-hmm. Isn't Sigma Six Spirit like green and brown and gray? He doesn't have any blue from his original '80s costume. So if you sort of, if I squinted at this drawing of Dart, I'd think, oh, is this Spirit Iron Knife from Sigma Six, but like drawn in sort of the not drawn like chunky and geometric? I like the inclusion of Dart, and I like how. And we talked about this in other issues. I think in the, in the last issue, um, how Joes are, are introduced in various ways. And a lot of times in, in uh, Larry's books, just like in this one, 
they'd just be out on a mission and there'd be a new guy. Yeah. It's like, Oh, he's just there. He's, he's just part of the team. And, uh, I like that. I like, I like when they introduce him like that. I, I'm sort of wondering why that is either, um, like reasonable for us or surprising. And I think about like how Joes were introduced in the animated series. And in most cases, uh, a Joe would just be in an episode, sort of their spotlight episode. Um, In a few cases, like Sergeant Slaughter or uh, Serpentor, it's it's sort of built up or it, it is built up. You know, and then certainly with some characters, they're just there in the first episode. Duke's just there at the beginning of G.I. Joe. Flint is just there. Uh, in the second year uh, at the beginning. But if, since this is a comic, it's like, well, what's, what's the comparison? You know, like Avengers famously, what is it? A year in, in the sixties, like Captain America, like announces a new team, or maybe it's, maybe it's three years and some of the current Avengers are not going to be Avengers anymore. And Oh, by the way, these three former villains are going to be Avengers. (laughs) And in fact, there is a Larry Hama written issue of Avengers from, I want to say, roughly 1990, but I don't know. He wrote, I think the series just for six issues. And that was Avengers 329 from uh, February 1991, by the way. Okay. Thank you. The cover is Captain America at a podium with a microphone, and behind him are like. TV panels of, I think, 16 Avengers and Captain America. It's like a press conference. He's like announcing the new Avengers team. And so, you know, like, that's a book where when lineup changes happen in the story, it's, it's a, it's a public event, you know, and then you have a book like Fantastic Four where like, yes, the lineup changes now and then, but most of the time it's just these four characters who are a family. But if you were in the military and your platoon or your squadron like was going to get some new people. It's like, they just show up, you know, like the sergeant brings them in. It's like, there are those three empty beds, three new guys go take those new beds. And if you were like coming back from a mission, uh, you just show up and hear the new guys, or you just like go out on a mission and you meet up with your new guys on the mission. Um, the thing that's weird about this is that we did have the scene in the previous issue where they're like, oh, here's six new Joes. And then in this one, it's like, well, we're out on the field and here's a new guy. Well, he doesn't get an introduction. <laughs> it's like, he's just yeah. there. He yeah. Get a and, special and, spotlight. Uh, is it issue 82 of the Marvel run with uh, a repeater and Viper, uh, a Viper on the cover that yeah. specifically introduces three new Joes and the rest are washouts. It's like, it's a whole issue to show how you make it to the team. And then these three new guys are on the team. Uh, I like Jay's point that it can happen in lots of different ways. If it's a character that I love or I want to love, I hope the story can sort of pause. So they do get some kind of introduction. Like maybe the Joes are in a helicopter going to the mission and someone can say, you know, like, hey, darts, or in the case of uh, Real American Hero at IDW right now, hey, Mongoose, I think that was, was that the cafeteria at the pit? Mm -hmm. It's like, you're the new guy. Like, yep, I'm the new guy. Well, (laughs) your your dialogue may vary, but like, well, here we are on a mission. And then, you know, helicopter gets shot down. Actual dialogue may vary. The mission gets gets, uh, continued. Cool. So uh, any more on... uh... That we wanted to call out specifically on uh, on Sierra Gordo shenanigans. I like what Jerwa does 
where there was an irony. There was more happening in the scene and only Jurwa knew. We didn't know, the reader doesn't know that this is all going according to plan. Duke is already there and Duke is smarter than everyone in the scene. He's smarter than Destro and he's smarter than me, the reader. So when I get to the end of the scene and Duke shows up and says, foiled you, Destro, I think, cool. Um, I like when that happens in in stories because it shows that the writer is smarter than me or uh, hiding something without me being able to figure it out. The actual scene, which leads up to Duke revealing himself, where it's like the president's assistant. She goes down the hall with this iron grenadier and... The Iron Grenadier opens a door and then gets punched by an anonymous Caucasian arm. And then she's now back and Destro has his tea. Uh, (laughs) I I found the- almost kills everyone. I was like, easy Destro. Well, but if he'd done it and then he'd been like, they betrayed me and here's proof. We'd be like, what a badass. But the one, two, bottom of page, three, four, five, six on the next page, panels of- Iron Grenadier in the hallway with this person with the water for tea. Someone punches, and the implication is, I think, Duke is hiding in this closet and then takes that guy's costume, puts it on, and then comes in a minute later and is like, by the way, it's me, Duke, foiled, dude, Destro. Uh, The actual scene I found, A, a little confusing, and B, like, why are they spending five panels talking about a noise in a, behind a, an anonymous door. It's like, okay, well, this must be important, but it, it felt clunky to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and and also, <laughs> this is going to seem like seem a little bit like a broken record. Duke put on that disguise really quickly. <laughs> that, look, look at that costume. That is not a well, costume that you can put on quickly. And that, I was going to say that and use that as an example uh, as a defense to those Joes at the beginning. This just shows you Joes are super fast, like clothes changers. That must be something that they work on. And they're just boom, like quick, like magicians. I think there's a scene in Marvel issue 82 where Duke is giving the the almost Joes like all this physical labor to do. It's like, I need like a hundred laps and then uh, a thousand pushups and, you know, like light foot. And the other two guys are like, oh, I hope we make it. It's like, okay, put your costume on. You have 20 seconds. <laughs> See? And now put an Iron Grenadier costume over the top of it. <laughs> you have five. <laughs> that just punch, good though. Like that. Uh, I'm, I'm try- I'm, I'm, I thought it was Road Pig punching that guy for a it's second. A, it's a chunky arm, arm with a um, with big chunky wrists, and I, I noticed that that it's something. I, um, I'll try. I'll try. Try and find the, the the panel, but I noticed that there was a few panels where the 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 wrist on the on the arms was like massive and uh sort of slightly reminded me of um uh what was it uh there's this book called uh, superman at earth's end by an artist called frank gomez and he draws this sort of a very sort of in- oh, yeah. individual st- style which is kind of these kind of like quite a kind of stubby muscular fit physique He's got a really neat style. I like. Yeah, that it's book. it's it's cool. It's it's you know it's not not at all realistic, but but you know yeah. it it's it's not trying to be. Uh, you know, it's quite quite a fun style. Definitely impactful. Um, and yeah, and some some of those those little flares just sort of put me in put me in mind of that that style of the ultra roided up kind of <laughs> stubby uh, muscular arms. But there we go. 
As for the finale, I mean, it's, 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 this is chapters two and three of a story, but a, fi- a five-parter. But as for the finale of these issues we're reading today, uh, this final page where back on Cobra Island, Cobra Commander checks in with Baroness, gives her this choice, uh, and then she says, no, let's not rescue him. Uh, I like this scene. I thought the, the dialogue was great. Cobra Commander, is he, he has intel on what's happening with Destro, even though Destro just left. And... Uh, and the Baroness is cold at the end. So I think that's uh, compelling. It's a, it's, it's a surprise and it's compelling. Yeah, I liked this. Overall, I really like these issues. I had uh, one thing that I really liked about the barrel roll escape sequence and one thing that I didn't like so much. Um, one thing that I thought was really cool was um, that, that bit where they're sort of hooking up the jet ski and then dropping it on the... Uh, water moccasin i thought that was quite a cool uh, i agree that's uh i agree that was something i wanted to call out um fun exciting sequence and i have a butt but i'll let you do your butt (laughs) if you want to check out my butt first uh it's as follows (laughs) uh the it it was it was that what really sort of follows on then from that sequence where they're just back in the in the helicopter and the kind of sense of place and sense of movement associated with that just seemed a little bit strange it's it's like um you know sort of kind of used to seeing things shown in a certain way when you're on a helicopter in a in 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 gi joe comic book from how it has been shown before and it's you know quite compact it's moving fast it's you know a lot of wind sort of a lot of movement uh and and i guess a lot of peril associated with missiles and and, and that kind of thing and you're being shaken around and, and you shaken, might yeah, fall out you exactly. might fall out the giant open door on the side but but instead what we have is a people standing very you know bolt upright straight and and the immediate thing to do is to somehow break out a a cup of uncovered coffee <laughs> or <laughs> cocoa or something um to and a and a nice towel to to you know pad yourself down with and that just didn't didn't give me that sort of sense of yeah, place what, or sense of peril. What, or, what's two two comments to follow up on this? So some of this is the scripting, right? It's like, but Seely's like it's it's like he's trying to not draw the tomahawk because you see it twice, kind of small, sort of uh, like enough of it that it's uh, identify ident- identifiable. Like you see it from like twenty feet away. But there are a couple panels, and there's a lot going on here because there's the water moccasin, and there are some like sharks, right? Wave crushers, <clears throat> wave wave crushers. Yeah, that's a cobra repaint of the shark. Came out in two thousand and one, okay. two thousand two. Right. Thank you. So I didn't know that they're not identified by name. They don't have cobra symbols on them. They're not. They're colored in this like gray, which is like devils do. That could be like black or that could be like white you know like is cobra, is cobra crander in black or is he in like gray and it's really dark i don't know. um and Maybe like orange and uh so this this big panel on the bottom of a page where we do see the water moccasin two mores and thank you two wave crushers uh i thought oh i guess like part of the extraction for barrel roll is that some sharks are showing up to escort him like oh man the water moccasin and these mores are really close they they're all like point blank they should just like take them out 
but then like no one talks about them but okay now i understand that that's part of the cobra like chase to get this one guy in this one uh jet ski and then there's the like the winch the, the cable so celie has got a lot to contend with in this scene and there are speaking roles for uh at least four characters right and it's in the water and up in the air and then like inside the helicopter so this is this is difficult um but to mark's point once you turn the page past like that ad for atari where barrel roll is now on the helicopter and yes there is a curved background with um flint's uh beverage uh it's sort of like Seely and Jorwa just decided that they've like teleported back to like headquarters because when flint like walks up to this door he says that's a big affirmative but a hacker can explain it better it's like I know the tomahawk is big, but like doesn't feel like we're on a helicopter anymore. Yeah, and the and and certainly the lighting, right? It's like no, those doors don't close, right? It's like a lot of light would be coming in from uh, from the side. So um, a lot of headroom above Flint on that second panel. Yeah, when they're back in, inside, and 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 this is going to be unfair because he's he it's a good issue and he's a, he's an amazing artist, but the the Cuba Bowl issue where you had the cup those generals um in that in that helicopter and and uh, the the kind of the the thought and attention he was i think that he said that the script originally just had them sort of sat on benches and he's thinking well actually you know would it make it more dynamic if, if they're sort of sat on the on the side and you know just the the energy of the bonnet body language and the sense that there's you know the rotor blades are whipping up you know all of all of this you know energy around them and, and these kind of things um and, and i'm i'm not so it's it's just it's not on a par with with that i'm afraid so there there is a difference with a with a writer and an artist who have like either been on a helicopter or are researching the right reference and mentally putting themselves in a space right like whether it's like you're holding the toy and you're like how many figures can fit here like oh well they'd all have to sit down mm-hmm. or you are like looking at photos of helicopters and noticing oh all these guys are sitting down and the rotor blade is like 6 feet away and even though you're safe you're like aware of it and it's loud and you 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 like squint and you hunch over and you have your hands by your ears and you know if they're going to close the door so that the lighting is anyway um <laughs> the thing that uh so um, this isn't just like drawing. This is this is not one of my like drawing GI Joe is really hard. This is drawing like action comics is really hard, and you have to think through your choreography, your your setting, and your props. Um, the thing that I don't like is after Barrel Roll is in the air and he he loosens the winch, the hook, so that the um, jet ski can now fall. There's a close-up panel of Copperhead looking up, and he says, "Please don't do that." Fleet disperse, disperse, crash, psh, and the jet ski lands what looks like squarely on him, and like would kill anyone if this were not like a comic book or a superhero movie. But uh, that feels like a like a joke, where not. Uh, reacting to the seriousness, the graveness of the moment. Copperhead is like a deadly killer and like an excellent boat pilot in a worldwide global terrorist ar- ar- army. Like it's, it's like he looks up and he's like, whoa, whoa. 
please don't do that. Like, no, no. Oh, cut that word balloon. Like, fleet disperse! Dis-! Right? Okay, he's saying fleet disperse because he knows he's about to get hit. He'll lose control, and then all the Cobra boats will hit each other. And that is what happens. But uh, is it issue... Uh, is it issue 35 or 30? It must, must be 36 with the with the Michael Golden cover, the Marvel run with the... Um, is it the the whale Beached and the whale. asp? Yeah. So like there is an issue. I don't have it in front of me, so I'm going off of memory. But if it's like, if you find some of the visual storytelling in this Devil's Due issue 30, a little confusing about like the, the Cobra water vehicles, where they are, how close they are to the Joe vehicle they're chasing. Like how clear is it that like barrel roll gets away like, I remember there's a couple pages of very clear, like, vehicular action in Marvel issue 36, where, uh, is there an atoll or an island or something, and they're going around it? I think, right? yes. and it happens. I think that's the one, yeah. Sorry, that's, to- uh, it's all the ships at sea, not beached well. Okay, thank you. And to a lesser extent, and this is a very different example, it also happens in, I think it's episode uh seven of gi joe it's the 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 middle chapter of the second miniseries with the weather dominator where before um spirit and storm shadow are fighting like in the cave you have a joe force and a cobra force with water vehicles like shooting at each other from opposite ends of i think an atoll am i saying it right an atoll and what, what Seeley's doing here is much more straightforward actually it's just a straight linear chase moving in one direction but he's got uh, a second dimension to work with, which is uh, he's doing the x-axis, like going straight away from the island, but he's got the z-axis where vehicles are going up and down, and yeah, it's it's uh, it's okay, uh, but Jerwa, uh, I'm sorry, I don't like I don't like um, Copperhead like pausing the scene to like look at the to like look at the camera and be like, oh no, <laughs> like. Uh. I, and I'm being mean because he's not saying it in a cartoony voice. He's like saying it to himself. And I yeah. don't know, maybe you'd actually say that. But it's like, I don't think we've ever seen that in a G.I. Joe comic where it's like a Cobra's about to get punched. And he's like, he's like, oh, please don't do that. And then like Roadblock's fist comes into the shot. It's like, no, you wouldn't have time to say that. Okay, Koki. Uh as, as they say. Back to the introduction do, do of they? the wave <laughs> real quick. Yeah, yeah. Tell us about the wave crusher. I'm 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 like with you. I I didn't know what it was when they first showed up in the scene, and I thought the exact same thing you did. You see those vehicles, and then there's a shark there, and I was like, "Oh, that's badass!" Because I was like, the sharks just like <laughs> came up right in front of these cobra boats, and then I'm thinking we're gonna turn the page, and the sharks are gonna be like zooming ahead of the cobra boats, and then they're gonna pick him up. No, it doesn't happen, and they never say that they're wave crushers or anything. Uh, Thanks, Google, which didn't exist in 2002. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, yeah, I, it would have been awesome, uh, but it, you know, it wasn't. I, I, w- I was slightly different. It, I sort of, I didn't even even notice it on my first read through, and then my second read through, I was like, "What is that? A shark?" And I was like, "No, <laughs> that's not going to be a shark. That's going to be some random cobra repaint of a shark that I've never heard of before." <laughs> Which um, is basically yeah. Yeah. So so yeah. I looked. At, I had to look it up on on <laughs> online and find out. You know, was there a was there a repaint of the shark released around about this time? Yes, two thousand and one. Yeah. Um, if we're going to sort of scratch my nerd itch, and and I do think it's fun, like that. Devils do is trying to play ball with Hasbro and include some newer toys. 
And I think that Jurwa continuing that from Blaylock, that's that's fun. Like the shark is a little hard to draw. It's weird. Um, so like, thank you everyone for the attempt, like making this feel like G.I. Joe, not in 1991, but in, you know, 2004. Um, but man, if you're going to include the Wave Crusher, what I really want to see is its pilot, the Sub Viper, a, a cool repaint of the uh, Eco Warriors Sludge Viper. If I could change one panel here or sort of magically add a panel, I'd have uh, a Sub Viper in the Wave Crusher, like radioing over to Copperhead. Yeah, that would have you know, totally. Like, Sub Viper 286, uh, we are on your left and right. We're on your, we're on your six and we're on your nine and three. Uh, or like um, backup squad. Like it's like, oh, have they come up from underwater? It's like uh, we, we've uh, submerged. What's the opposite of submerge? We've, we've arisen. Surfaced. We've surfaced. Thank you. Uh, let me ask a different question. How do you guys feel about Dr. Mindbender? Not not the, the clarity of the reveal or not, or the, the tease of the reveal, but that he does this and he does this in this way. I was fine with it. Yep, yep, fine with me. I like I the surprise. How long he's going to be like, you know, uh, uh, running loose uh, on the uh, island. Yeah. Did you yeah, guys think did, it's, did quite, you guys it's quite guess... cool that you sort of spread out over a number of issues as this kind of wacky wild card causing mayhem to the different factions over the course yeah, of quite a number of different issues. Did you guys think it was him when at the in the end of the previous issue? Uh, I think that I either didn't think that it was him or didn't think too much about it because I read him like back to back, so I just really went. Hmm. Yeah, probably yeah, in the same. There was it wasn't like like you said. If we were reading it month to month, you know, and you get to that page, and then you turn the page, and there's Destro, and you're like, well, what about uh, barrel roll and the gun? And there's nothing, you know. Uh, so that yeah, it wasn't really a cliffhanger. If you read them um, one right into the other, I didn't give it a whole lot of thought. I read them a week apart, and when it was revealed to be fine better, I thought, oh, cool. What a as as Jay just said, got this like wild man running around the island, and Cobra Commander can't pin him down. And then this this dialogue of Mindbenders: "No, I'm not going back." Yeah, bam. That's I think that's a fun. You know, Cobra is is big enough, and there are enough factions that you know sometimes it's all working for one goal, and sometimes you know like Destro or Zartan are working at cross purposes, and sometimes it's all frayed like uh like in marvel issue um 90 where like everyone's trying to, everyone the brass of cobras is like trying to figure out who should do what um, well and i think the front cover yeah. kind of is meant to symbolize that with the breaking cobra and you know you're ah. seeing like in one sense traditional cobra you know with your top three cobra commander baroness and destro that that's broken down mm. you know and where do we go from here Mm-hmm. What's the what's the since since I was a little hard on this cover, Jay, you make a good point that it does uh, represent the issue. There's an issue of uh, the IDW Real American Hero issue 176, and it's got a Shannon Gallant cover, which is split into thirds, top, middle, bottom, and it says the good, the bad, the ugly, and you see Snake Eyes's head, Baroness's head, Cobra Commander's head, and that's a very different cover than this Devil's 230, but it's it's working a little bit in a similar way in that 
you, you have this division in, into thirds and uh, that IDW cover, like it's, that's referencing the Sergio Leone movie. It's like famous spaghetti Western, but I always found that cover sort of like it's missing something. Like if it's, if it wants to be a movie poster or feel more like that movie, it needs more texture or color or like different um, type font treatment. Um, but here's an example of, uh, you know, to Jay's point about Cobra fraying, uh, I guess I guess this cover does speak to the interior more than I thought it did at the beginning. So thank you, Jay, for saying that. It's still not a very good cover. <laughs> <laughs> but it gets the point across. What if each of the three circles were also cracking a little bit? Yeah, it could be. Yeah, the, the, the Cobra symbol cracking doesn't seem to quite sort of join up so much with the uh the three circles yeah the cobra symbol needs to be bigger and this is also one of those cases where i wish some of the art could be in front of the gi joe logo a little bit on the previous cover it was destro's head was in front of the cover I was going oh to point yeah that out. yeah yeah i feel like i feel like with the modern idw run that's never done and and it was done for the marvel run and you know once or twice they shoot it there's that Andrew Wildman cover where Lady J is shooting the GI Joe logo. Yeah, I know. It, I know that the Joe logo was destroyed on an SL Gallant cover. It's where the Cobras are, dr- are driving a uh, very large vehicle through uh, through the logo. It's a kind of oh, is an, that an homage is, to is issue two hundred one? I think that's two hundred and one. Uh, I think you might be right. Yeah, uh, uh, two hundred one is. The Joes on a, or is it Rolling Thunder? Sorry. Um, here we go. Two hundred nine. It was. Did did Gallant redraw the logo? He yeah he he sort of he must have drawn it yeah it was um yeah. like a GI Joe logo being shattered into bits it was a um is it is the tank called a maggot? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, and the the so. pilot the pilot is worms. <laughs> <laughs> um all right well do, do you guys have anything else to say about uh about these two I've issues just had some i spies yeah i've, I've got i've got some i, I spy, spy with my little eye my first i spy was alexander saying that failure is not an option uh so failure is not the option is a, the tagline of the 1995 film apollo 13 and is often credited to NASA flight director Gene Krantz, who titled his 2000 memoir, Failure is Not an Option. Hmm. Uh, my I Spy, in issue 29, I keep doing this, it's not in the actual comic book. So <laughs> after, after the letters page is the Devil's Due News page, and there is a blurb for the... Hasbro Wizards of the Coast G.I. Joe trading card game. And the headline is Devils Do Handling Arts for G.I. Joe TCG. Cobra Handling Art for Devils Do TCG. And I don't remember this trading card game. So I don't know if all this art is new or if some of it's new and some of it's from like all these issues of Devils Do that have already been published or from like battle battle files. Um, yeah, that but, doesn't sound familiar at all. I remember I like, trading cards, but not not a trading card game. Um, I mean, there were, I mean, like in the in the late '90s and the early 2000s, there was Marvel 
Overpower and Marvel was it Recharge? There were like I remember the uh, there were several trading card games yeah. that were trying to do what Magic the Gathering yep. had done, and it's like I'm sure that if you ask me like was there a Transformers TCG, I'd say no, and then you're like you're wrong. And I'd say oh I guess there was one, and then you'd be like no Tim there were three. And it's like I don't remember that at all. Um, uh, like there you know there was a Beast Wars game that came in a box, but it was aimed very young, and that would be you know, 97 or something. But so uh, I like this, I like this, I like this ad and I bring up this kind of announcement as an iSpy because it helps to ground what else was happening with mm-hmm. G.I. Joe, mm-hmm. with Hasbro. The, the base set had 114 cards with one promo card for Venomous Maximus that you could only get from the Valor versus Venom um, VHS or DVD and an Armored Strike expansion pack of 78 cards it was... wait i have the valor versus venom dvd do i have one of these cards You've, you may <laughs> um... well have a card in, with it within it then yeah um it was ceased production in 2005 due to insufficient demand and an overcrowded ccg market yeah and i also wonder if devil's do did new art and if hasbro used like existing toy art from those couple of years for like character just like character shots so that's that's my iSpy. Yeah, good. My iSpy I... is issue 29, page 10, panel 4. The Crimson Guards, uh, the Crimson Twins outfits looks almost exactly like the the uh, Cobra Claws commander, which I, I thought was weird that they put them in, in the, that same kind of look. And <laughs> also on that same page, uh, Dial Tone looks kind of like Stalker. Yeah, it always happens, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the Crimson Twins in the the Crimson outfit was actually a toy. Um, it was from two thousand three. Oh, okay. It was pack, uh, packaged with the Crimson Command uh, copter. So the those figures were created using the legs, arms, and torso of the Cobra Claws Commander, and the go. head of Scalpel. Uh, but I guess with one of them just with a with a with a scar on Zaymart's uh, face. So. <laughs> they have... yeah that's that's why it recalls that because it definitely okay. was but um it's um yeah maybe maybe they just uh they just saw on the teleconference when uh, the clause commander was was reporting in and thought yeah that's a natty outfit could have uh one of those for myself thank you very much uh, the but... dialogue went something like that's sharp we need one of those <laughs> armani prada versace too joe's changed their outfits from black to blue duke and hawk look don't gawk, changing their kit. Whoa, was that legit? Swapping camo jackets, headgear and boots. It's now neon colours and funky space suits. Sci-fi stalker and even roadblocks. While Bill, Flint and Mutt gave me a shot. So go take a walk if clothes aren't your passion. Because it's comic book talk and lovely G.I. Joe fashion. And uh, and actually, I think it's about three for three in terms of number of issues and different outfits for the Crimson Twins. because They're seen, always in something different. We've seen them in, in, in this outfit. We've seen them in, in just suits when they were having their executive massage and then they they were also in these sort of sort of strange blue white yeah. gray kind of devil's due creations as well so um, they're yeah, the they're, janet van dyne of the uh gi <laughs> joe universe yeah they they are with the fashion so much of cobra is so flamboyant you know like dr mindbender's original design he's he's shirtless and has a big cape and cobra suspenders or Tomax and Zamot, who like I think because we grew up with it, like we look at Tomax and Zamot and we're like, well, yeah. And you show the Tomax and Zamot action figure 
to anyone else, like your cousin or your neighbor. And it's like, oh, these guys look like they're in the circus. And they are. They were. No. Yes, exactly. And like how they act on the show and they're like acrobats. And Cobra, you know, like it's it's Cobra's no fun if everyone's just wearing like plain, I don't know, dark gray and black. So I don't know if some of these Tomax and Zamat costumes in Devil's Do are exciting enough, no. or fun enough. Uh, but I do think it's fine that they change costumes more often than some other characters. Like, I think Cobra Commander reasonably can go from hood to battle helmet to like battle armor. But I think, you know, Destro should just sort of be in like one of two Destro costumes. And uh, like, I can imagine some writer doing a scene where Tomax and Zamot at the extensive Enterprise's penthouse office open up their fancy like walk-in closet and like specifically choose which like battle outfit they're going to get <laughs> into for the next issue. Because it's like Cobra is flamboyant. It's like the bad guys are colorful. Yeah, I feel like with the twins especially, you know, and, and this is how I've always, like we said, we've always been able to... to 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 accept their costumes because they are circus costumes. They're they're circus performers. So that's where you know where that comes from. But as a result, and that is so flamboyant. You don't want to see them in anything that's plain. I mean, a suit, you know, like a three piece suit would, would be fine because they're in business. But yeah, like Mark mentioned, there's a a uniform that they that Seely's drawn them in a couple times. That's just blue with like plain silver shoulder pads, and and it's like. No, that's just way too plain for the for the twins. You got to have something like like way out there. I mean, literally like like a, a circus outfit. It's got to be and Roy. Yeah, it's got to be crazy 2.0. You can't go <laughs> cuz go down. This thing that they're in, the sort of red uh like repaint of the claws leader, is that what it is? Claws commander. Yeah. It's since it's kind of just a it's like a slightly athletic business suit it's like no that that looks like halfway to their extensive enterprises business meeting uniform where's the cobra symbol where's like a collar or some some chest or a cod piece or (laughs) you know like something 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 more fun there's going to be a classified figure with the with those guys in three-piece suit with a cod piece it's it's like they're turning up just you know the military leaders and they want to you know dress up as a, as a proper military leader and have a bit more gravitas and be taken seriously rather than the, <laughs> the first reaction for the troops to to sort of stare at their <laughs> god piece. <laughs> cool. Next up, I spy. Um, I've got Iron Grenadier. So we've got a couple of different variants of the Iron Grenadier in these issues. We've got the insectoid sort of devil's dew design, which is kind of an update of the original V1. But then we've also got a, a V2 more recent figure with the big shoulder pads. So, um, yeah, interesting that they're sort of combining. That's that's the one that I think Duke dresses up as. So um, interesting, both in terms of using the different kind of looks that have been established in the comic and the new toys, but also using that as a bit of a storytelling device as well that you can tell the the duke grenadier apart from the the regular ones because they are in these different outfits all right one more i spy on uh this was in issue 29 page 28 panel three uh the generator that barrel roll pushes down the stairs was built by arbco excellent it's sort of a nice little it's very subtle but makes you think 
you know, is Arbco like the acme of um, the, the GI Joe well, world? Well, yeah. And see, this time, the, the Arbco product, unlike the vent in the castle that the Cobra <laughs> troopers were complaining about that keeps popping open, this one uh, works because it just depends on gravity. To, to <laughs> it works as something to be thrown it down. It just falls down the stairs successfully. successfully. So that's a good Arbco product. Uh, did we spot uh, Televiper goggles being used quite extensively? Uh, and th- and once uh, one was punched out, and as he was lying on the floor, it was flashing across out of order. I didn't even notice that. I always thought that was strange on the cartoon, how like words would appear across their goggles. But well, I didn't even notice they, that they did that in here. In the cartoon, they they rarely speak. And there's some, for me, question as post- as to... Like if they can or if they're allowed to, it's like, wait, do these guys, are they like so techie that they don't talk? It's just like what they want to say flashes across there. Uh, I wonder if the, the people working on the show had sort of decided something for themselves. Um, we had a little line of dialogue. Uh, I think it was the from Cobra Commander. He said, uh, send him to the interrogator. So um, just, yeah, interesting sort of dropping in of a new character. I don't think who's been referred to before in the, in the comics up to this point. So just dropping in the name uh, and the function, I suppose, as, as well, but not, uh, not actually seeing them on panel. Yeah, that didn't pay off. <laughs> but it was nice to, to be, you know, that he mentioned it. I was like, oh, good. We're going to get to see interrogator now. Yeah, I think we do. Fair I think we do uh, somewhere down the, down the lines. Um toys i had new toys but i think we've touched on most of them so we had wave crush crusher iron grenadier crimson twins dart and the final one was uh the new update to cobra commander so the 2003 spy troops or possibly the the follow-on black version of the costume he seems to sort of alternate between a kind of a bluey and a blacky version of the costume and there, there was a sort of a more vibrant blue and a, a dark black version uh, of the of, of the character. So this is the the helmeted uh, Cobra Commander with those kind of uh, stylized uh, ridges, kind of in the in the corners of uh, of the mask. And that was all my ice spice. Mark, I have a question. Um, page or uh, issue twenty nine, the six panel page, page eight. Uh, who is that viper up on the top? Uh, you're not talking about the silent page. Yeah, the silent page. That's a Cobra Coils. Cobra Claw. Sorry. Yeah. Is that? Yeah. Is that? We've seen the capitals? commander, but I don't know that we've ever gotten a, a really good picture of what they look like. Yeah, I think we've we've seen them sort of working away in the background. Yeah. Yeah. Right? yeah. So so yeah, this is the trooper of which uh, the Claws commander is a commander of. <laughs> All right, cool. Error detected. Error detected. No prize incoming. In uh, issue 29, uh, my first error detected is that on page 19, panel 1, during Barrel Roll's escape, his parachute backpack disappears for one panel. We see it before, we see it after. And my other... Should, Hold should on, I let, me, let me catch up. Yeah, <laughs> pa- page 19. Oh right, 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 right. So as he's as he's scurrying around, it just for yeah, sort of momentarily kind of isn't there in as he's working his way around the building. Is that on it? Yeah. We make it yeah. yeah, yeah. Um and then uh when we were talking about the cover to twenty nine at the very beginning of this episode, 
my other error detected is that on the cover to 29, on the bottom right, under the cigar, Destro has signed his name, but he's only signed his first name and his last name, not his middle name. And I feel like if you are James McCullen Destro signing a contract with the president of uh, an entire nation, you'd sign your full name. Middle initial and all. Mm. Very good. I had I had one error detect more more error detected, which which caused caused me a little bit of confusion, which was in issue thirty in Sierra Gordo in uh, the explo- in the sequence where the Joes are under fire. There's this big explosion, and in the foreground, it, it's ripcord. The initial is, panel is this. Is, is this Wakum? That's the sound effect. That's his Wakum. Uh, yeah, ripcord. Oh no, mortar! Wakum! Crack! And it, it, so ripcord is sort of jumping away, shouting mortar. And in the explosion, it appears to be tunnel rat catching the the brunt of the explosion and falling back because, uh, you know, from his uh, what do you call it, a bandana or, or the, you know whatever it is is on his head. It's got these kind of tails, kind of flapping, uh, flapping away. So it's you know quite a distinctive m- marker. But then in the, in the fo- following panel, uh, Tunnel Rat seems to be okay and, and returning fire. And its low light is uh, you know looking worse for wear and is being propped up by Ricondo. So I I wonder if somewhere along the lines there were some crossed wires and and you know these you know possibly originally it was low light in that explosion in in sort of silhouettes but but somebody corrected it maybe in inverted commas to to add in those those um tails of the on the bandana and and caused unnecessary confusion or hmm. who knows but um yeah it, it it certainly it very much seems to be that it's suggesting that it's a uh, tunnel rat getting exploded up in that panel when it uh, yeah. should have been low light before I before I do my favorite line of dialogue, um, I just want to do a quick comparison because I'm I'm holding issue thirty in my hand. I don't have the collection; it's not digital. And I've I've talked about sort of if covers would benefit from some copy from type, even if in two thousand four, that's sort of not cool and not done. And here's a quick comparison: um, the inside back cover and the back cover to issue thirty. So the inside back cover is an ad, a full page ad for. G.I. Joe Reloaded number four, and the image is Snake Eyes kicking Storm Shadow. This is the you know the reloaded continuity, and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go go out on, on a limb and say and add one word to my description. Uh, Snake Eyes is just kicking Storm Shadow. Like there's nothing else to this cover, and I know we're not reviewing this comic, but uh, imagine if there was some copy and it said something like uh, uh, Sword Brothers betrayal. You know, or like, okay, so now like turn the object so that now you're just looking at the back cover to issue 30, right? So this is a full page ad for the next issue of the regular continuity for issue 31. And it is the cover of what's going to be issue 31. And you see two Cobras who we do know and one who we don't, or maybe not even a Cobra. And again, this is an ad, not a cover. So it's it's it probably has copy that the cover and we'll talk about this in the next episode, will not have. Mm -hmm. But it says in a very fancy font, who is Wraith? And then it goes even further. Brandon Drewan, Aspen's talent Caldwell, will show you, right? So I bet when we get to our next episode, we're talking about the covered issue 31. I'm going to say, 
uh, like, oh, I like this drawing, or oh, I don't like this drawing, or I like this cover, but it's just three guys standing there. And if you know G.I. Joe, this guy in the front, you might think like, oh, who's that? And if you don't know G.I. Joe, that this guy is special or new or different may not occur to you. It's sort of like it's sort of like a cobra wave crusher appearing out of nowhere. It's like sometimes I need to be told. Mm-hmm. Quote of the week, 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 quote of the week. My favorite line of dialogue is uh, in issue 30 on page 7. Um, after the uh, water escape, the Joes get away, barrel roll gets away. Baroness is talking to the Crimson Twins, and she she says, uh, I don't understand anything about the commander anymore. He's been so careless in the past. And then she continues, uh, uh, Tomax Orzamat says, he's been driven? And she says, uh, yes, and we've seen it all before, haven't we? I'll, I'll do my Baroness voice. <clears throat> <laughs> yes, and we've seen all, uh, and we've all seen it before, haven't we? There's a big plan brewing, something so massive that minor setbacks don't even want his attention. And that is so great and so smart. So that's a great line of dialogue, Brandon Jirwa, um, because it's it reveals something that hasn't been pointed out about Cobra Commander, or if it's been obvious in previous stories, I didn't pick up on it. And it it is a kind of story logic. It's like, why? It's, it's a motivation. Why would someone do something? Why would someone behave a certain way? Cobra Commander is being, is, is acting a certain way right now because something else is more important to him, hmm. uh, which like sets up the rest of the story or the whole run in an exciting way. Like, oh, Cobra Commander is up to something. Cool. So I really like that line of dialogue. And I'll, and I'll add as well that I loved it when the Baroness uh, designed the, the costumes for the Incredibles. That was one of my favorite bits. <laughs> In my head, I'm doing a perfect Morgan lofting. So you, you, uh, <laughs> so I, I, I wish, I wish I could teleport you into how my voice sounds vibrating through my skull. <laughs> I was just thinking only Tim could make the Baroness unsexy. Oh, <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> I just I, I I liked the 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 intro and and hit, let me just do my Baroness voice. Oh, you've got a Baroness voice, brilliant! Uh, I just want to point out uh, if you are lucky enough to be my nephew, I I when, when we play Transformers, I can do a, I can do an excellent Megatron. I can actually do an excellent Megatron wow. uh, and a pretty good Starscream. Hey, uh, kudos for trying. <laughs> Uh, uh, kudos, kudos, kudos to our listeners who've made it this far in the episode and yeah. got to hear it. My favorite line of dialogue was from uh, page or uh, issue thirty, and this is during the battle uh, when one of the rebel soldiers sees his friend uh, dying all around him. Dart says to him, "They're fighting for you. Don't give up on fighting for them." I thought that was a great line of dialogue. Yeah. Yeah, good, uh, good stuff, and very serious, Jay. Is, uh, <laughs> keeping, yeah. It. I mean, Jirwa, you know, p- pulls him out. He does. He does. A bit yeah. of gravitas there. Uh, so, uh, so I'm sort of drawn, you know, obviously to the slightly more immature um, line of. Uh, <laughs> um, so, I had. Well, I had one other one, but I'll let you go. <laughs> I, I had um, Cobra Commander's uh, sort of speech, sort of rallying cries. And uh, he was saying, 
This is a new age for Cobra. A new age of victory and dominance. And then Barrel, barrel Roll uh, sort of whispers to himself, skip ahead to the new age of shutting the hell up, please. Yeesh. <laughs> I had a second one as, as well, which was uh, later on uh, with Flint, where he, he sort of has a throwaway line. Um, a G.I. Joe career doesn't guarantee you doesn't guarantee you'll be a good writer and i've got the receipts to prove it uh (laughs) yeah i thought that was good so it's it's funny but it's also sort of you know also telling a little bit of plot there as well because you know i guess there's question marks if if you know flint is such a well-known recognized successful uh writer you know why has he come running back to gi joe so quickly and possibly (laughs) part of the answer to that then is that he wasn't an incredibly successful writer after all is there an added layer? Is is Jerwa saying that Blaylock's idea to have Flint publish a book is not a good fit for G.I. Joe? I think you could take it that way. You might be able to take it that way. Yeah, sort of soft, you know, retconning things uh, back into, into the line. Um, did you have one more, Jay? Just a, a, a thing that I thought was funny was uh, page 18 when Barrel Roll's escaping and he shoves the gas line or whatever it is in the, in the guy's face. And the Cobra says, my eyes, my eyes. It just was like such an Austin Powers moment for me. <laughs> like you're going to scream my eyes, my eyes. Yeah. Cool. Silly. Uh, uh, so yo, Joe who wants, who's, who's brave enough to go first. I'll go first. We're do, we're doing these together. Yeah. Let's do these two yeah, as a yeah, single score. We talked about them together. Uh, five, as as I have stated over the last two hours, uh, there, there are lots of little things that need work. But Jerwa has some good turns. Seely um, pulls off some exciting things, and uh, it and it and it moves along. It's a good chapter two and three of a story, but. You know, I don't. There's a lot about Devil's Due that doesn't agree with me. So five. I think if these issues had a better artist, um, you know, just a more more mature, competent artist, like uh, we talked about General Flagg's funeral uh, that was drawn by Mike Fosberg in issue 19. And you just see a, a more mature, competent artist as far as storytelling. Uh, I think if these issues had a, a better artist and, and less offensive colors, I, I would really, really love these. I mean, I, I can see how there's a, such a big vocal component of fandom that, that does really appreciate uh, the Devil's Do stuff and Jerwa's stuff in particular, because I really like these. I, I found them really enjoyable. And it does feel a lot like History Repeating, which I think I gave, uh, if not an eight, maybe a nine. The only thing that I, the only real problem that I have with this is, uh, you know, just that Seely's not, not that advanced of an artist. You know, you guys have said before, it's a hard, hard book to draw. It's a big ask for a beginner and then a a colorist that wants to prove that he knows what water looks like. There are a couple big strikes, but I'm still really high on it. I'm going to eight. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Very good. Um, Like I said, if it were, if it, if, if it weren't for those few things, I mean, I might have even gone higher. And when we get to the end, we'll see how it plays out. But I just really enjoyed a lot of the the action, the interplay, the fact that he put so much stuff in two issues. 
I didn't ever feel like there's too much stuff going on here. It, everything flowed really nicely and you went from one location to another, but it all kind of served the story. I think, yeah, I think Jer was a really strong writer, even, even starting off. Nice. I was going to say Tim only gave it a five and, and, you know, he had, he had an extra bonus point as we know for, for the nicer paper stock. So. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, let me let me step over. Let me grab my issue twenty eight and see what you're talking about. Hold on, I'm taking my headphones off. My monitor's really smooth. <laughs> putting my headphones, putting my headphones back on. Yeah, I'd say I'd say 20. it's a it's a relatively it's a relatively subtle change in paper stock to be honest. It's, opening it's not twenty-eight. Concerned. I'm opening twenty-seven. Huh, I don't know if I see a difference. Anyway, uh why don't you continue? Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. I think I think it's subtle, but um uh where were we? Okay, so so my my score um I think I'm probably going to go with something like a seven. Um, so I'll say seven. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with with I think both both sides of uh, both opinions on the on the higher and the lower scores. It, you know, there there there's a, you know a lot of different plots being being juggled and generally um, that that sort of motoring along um, successfully. There's a lot to like and there's a lot to like even uh, about the the art that things are generally. Uh, you know, drawn it in a in a in a you know pleasant uh, and and easily readable uh, kind of way that um, it's it's not uh, uncluttered and there's a lot of clarity to the storytelling generally. There's um, just yeah, I think some of those points I raised earlier about about some of those just not quite following certain elements like you know who are those who's that guy in the blanket um, you know that that sense of place on the on the helicopter just not ringing true the. Um, some of some of the clarity around exactly what is happening in some of the action sequences in Sierra Gordo just stopped it from getting uh, being yeah getting a higher score uh, for for me. But um, yeah, sort of definitely um, uh, enjoying enjoying this as as we're going along and um, you know, very interested to to see how some of the the plot points uh, progress. Um, so yeah, I think that is us done with that issue. Uh, we don't have a GI Joe Origins uh, this this week, unless either of you are going to surprise me. No surprises right now. Yeah. So, but uh, ho- hopefully, yeah, you'll you'll take it away as homework and and uh, at a future date uh, surprise me with your very own GI Joe Origin trailer. Um, <laughs> uh, we do have a uh, a listener letter or email uh, that uh, I wanted to to highlight. So this came in from uh, Sam to what would we call ourselves? Postbox uh, Talking Joe. Uh, so here we go. Hey, Talking Joe team. I've been reflecting on the ch- challenges of the last two years, and I just wanted to let you know how much I appreciate this show. The thoughtful discussion and analysis, the lighthearted banter, the pure delights you all take in exploring the many visions of our favourite IP. It is a wonder that a programme can undergo so much change in so little time and remain so compelling it's a very different experience than in those early days but no less enjoyable this is fortunate because i can safely say 
that a bit of nostalgic escapism has never been more welcome and probably never healthier. I've got steady work, a lovely wife and son, and so much to be grateful for. But for all that stability, the world around us feels increasingly uncertain. There's no changing or controlling that, so it doesn't do to dwell on it. And the little distractions that fold us in comfort, even for a few moments, are so very welcome. Talking Joe has kept me awake and engaged for a many late night journey along the mid-Atlantic coast. It was my constant companion for those first sleepless months of my son's life and has given me familiar refuge from reality in this time of misinformation, extremism and discord. Thanks, gentlemen, for your energy, wit and dedication. It is appreciated. Cheers, Sam. So big thanks to Sam for taking the time to craft such a well-written uh, 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 you know, message to us. Um, it's uh, you know, gratefully appreciated and, and it's uh, very nice to, to hear that us waffling away and projecting that message out into the world is uh is being well received that you know we uh we've got some you know vocal fans who we sort of know might be be out there like uh uh you know commenting on the on the videos like uh christopher or, or sort of messaging us regularly on on facebook after we've made a post like uh richard but um you know a lot of the time i think it's it's people uh sort of listening and appreciating the the show but but not you know not that that feedback always sort of directly coming back to us so so it's sort of uh yeah it's it's nice to know that uh when when you know we're not doing this away in our little vacuum that, that it's it's you know landing and and being well received and it's uh yeah it it's very touching to to hear that you know people are enjoying it in uh in their different different ways here here much appreciated sam Cheers. Cool. Uh, so next time on Talking Joe Disavowed, we will continue our look at the Brandon Jerwa of G.I. Joe with parts four and five of this five-part arc, uh, issues 31 and 32. And over on the regular ARA show, we'll continue to cover the issues as they come out. There's uh, issue 289 will be... The Dawn Helix Spotlight, issue 290 will be the October Guard Spotlight. And then uh, after that, it's continuing the drumbeat on to issue 300. So uh, very exciting. Um, where can people find you guys? Jay? Break Room Sketches on Facebook. It's been quiet over in the break room these last few weeks. It has been the last few months. <laughs> yeah. But people should still find Jay there because <laughs> there are still cool drawings there from before the last few months. Yeah, true. There, there'll be some new stuff. We're just uh, waiting for things to calm down a little at work. Very good. And Tim, where can people find you? My brick and mortar comic book store is in Somerville, Massachusetts online it's at hubcomics.com and my gi joe blog is a real com, and i have three different posts uh right now in my draft folder in various states uh one of which is 97 percent done and i i think i can post like an hour after we stop taping this episode Excellent. So, if, Excellent. If, if you have been missing some blog posts, uh, some are coming your way. Actually, coming your way. Cool. And um, you posted 
recently about uh, Saga coming back. Had to, for for a kind of I guess fairly indie minded shop uh, like Hub Comics. How how big a difference does a big book like um, Saga make? Um, it makes uh, a big difference. Uh, I love Batman. I love X Men. We don't sell a lot of Batman or X Men. Uh, we sell a ton of Saga, both the issues and the paperbacks and the hardcovers. And even though it's it's published through Image and isn't a marquee name like Batman or X Men, because there's been just a tiny bit of merchandise and there's no like TV show or movie. Um, I think amongst like fantasy comics readers or people who follow a particular writer, it's a really big deal. And that it came back is a really big deal. I must say that I was in the comic shop uh, and, and saw the cover for the latest saga. And I'm not a floppy reader by by and large, but I was I was all, almost tempted enough to to grab that and uh, and to uh, to read it as, as singles. But I I will wait and control myself uh, for for the trade because um, yeah, my my floppies. I'm, I'm just I'm not I'm just not a single issue guy. Apart from GIJ, which is my my exception, uh, I'll cut that out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Uh, but uh, but yeah, very excited to see it come back. Oh yes, and you can find the show in all of the usual places. Uh, Talkingjoe.co.uk is the website that has all of the links to the places, such as Facebook. Twitter, Instagram, and the contact us details, as well as uh, links to the YouTube channel. So, um, if you are an audio-only person, uh, you can find the uh, the the YouTube version of this show over on our YouTube channel, which has got uh, which is slave uh, sort of um, Jay slaves away over a hop keyboard. Um, work, working to produce uh, the the YouTube episode with lots of uh, extra uh, sort of visual content uh, to help uh, sort of illustrate the points as we uh, you know raise them and go on. So uh, do check uh, and to get a chuckle out of our <laughs> viewers if we can, we try to. Um, and we're also on Patreon, patreon.com, Talking Joe. So big thanks to all of the backers, Richard, Sam, Jay, Bill, Christopher, and Justin, who are all getting early access to episodes, as well as some exclusive content. Uh, but that is us done for another week. But remember... Nobody beats Talking Joe! A real American podcast! Featuring international heroes from across the world. Laters. There, we could be a real international heroes instead of real American heroes. Talking Joe, real international heroes. I'm not really heroes. Yeah, we'll just stick with what we got. <laughs> it's my day off. I'm not thinking about anything. <laughs> it's my day. <laughs> On principle, I'm not thinking about anything. You're not paying me nope. to think. Stick up work and it's done. <laughs>